Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome to Spin the Rally Pod, Dirtfish's weekly rallying podcast. Now today... As the more astute of you will be aware, I am not Lisa O'Sullivan, I am Luke Barry. We're going for a bit of a different episode, actually, because for once we're diving deep into the American Rally Association, the ARA, US Rallying, and it's something we really have not been doing enough of on the podcast, but we've got a very good reason for doing it this week. But before we get into that, I'd like to introduce my special guest, Preston Osborne, ARA Competition Director. Preston, how are you? I'm doing great, Luke. Thanks for having me on. And Mason Runkle, our Mason is ARA correspondent. Is that the best title for you at Darfish? I actually don't know what your your specific role is in terms of yeah. a job title. Yeah, I don't really know what my job title is either. So I would say ARA correspondent works great. <laughs> <laughs> Does what it says in the tin, doesn't it? <laughs> Does what it yeah. says in the tin. But before we get into anything too deep, boys. Um, we're going to talk about next year's direction, but a little bit first on this year's championship as well, because it's the second year we've been partnered, the ARA and Dirtfish as media partners. It's been a quite an interesting year so far, hasn't it? Because obviously last year we, we had Travis Pastrana. He won the first, I think it was three rounds in a row, and it was a little bit of a sort of writing on the wall situation from from day one. But but this year we've we've had a very surprised winner on round one and a very deserving winner on round two. Preston, what, what have you made of the championship so far from your end? You know, Snowdrift is always such a, an inter- interesting event to start the year with, um, just because it's, uh, you know, the only snow rally we do. And, and for the international uh, audience that's listening, we actually don't use studs here in the U.S. And, and that's mainly because of concerns over road damage. So it's a bare rubber snow event and and certainly uh, makes some of the challenges for the teams and, and kind of equalizes the machinery in a sense. Uh, so, so it makes it makes it interesting and yeah we had mark piotowski who's been a long time regional competitor uh, actually stepped up to national last year and and won our limited four-wheel drive class so uh so that was pretty exciting to see and for him to get an overall win at snowdrift um you know certainly went to a, a deserving competitor it did it did indeed and mason i know you know mark quite well we actually ironically had mark doing a bit of video work for us and um, that weekend so I, I don't know if that's a a bit of an omen for him there for future rallies, but it, it was an incredible drive, wasn't it, Mason? And as Preston said there, he's one of those drivers that really has started from nothing and he's he's gradually growing his way up. And well, we'll get onto it later, but there could be some big opportunities for him in the future as well. Yeah, I mean, following Mark uh, as he started with the, I guess, entering as a national competitor a uh, year or two ago and just seeing him uh, unexpectedly take the LN4 championship last year was incredible and getting to know his story and everything. I mean, he started out like most of us who want to be rally drivers do. He just, uh, 
stole his dad's car at night and went uh, drifting through the streets of uh, his hometown in the snow. So, uh, um, you know, uh, very humble beginnings. He knows the GC chassis um, probably better than most anyone in the U.S. He builds and um, builds and sells them uh, to help fund his rallying career. And um, to see him win an overall in a car with 180 horsepower um, is just unreal, and it's incredibly deserving. I guess it's important to understand, for all the US listeners will know, the the magnitude of that achievement. But Preston, for maybe people that don't know the ARA so well, and particularly Snowdrift, how how big an achievement was, was marked? Because this, this is the championship that's obviously been generally won by Subarus for the last decade, apart from McKenna and Barry McKenna in 2020. So for Mark Piotrowski, essentially a privateer driver, to be to be leading the championship after round one, it's, it was massive. Yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. I think the stars had to align a little bit uh, for him. You know, Brandon Semenik was there with, with a pretty big lead going into the last section. But uh, at the end of the day, Mark put himself in that position where Brandon ended up suffering a mechanical issue and and DNF'd, and, and Mark was there to uh, move from second into first. But, you know, that being said, he did beat several Rally 2 cars for outright speed. Um, and again, with with Snowdrift not allowing any sort of stud and, and kind of being that equalizer when it comes to uh, different levels of vehicles, it, it really comes down to driver skill. And, and for Mark to put himself on top of the podium for an event like that uh, is just really a testament for how much work he has put into, you know, as, as Mason said, the preparation of his vehicle, but just also in the driving talent that uh, he's gained over the years. So, and I think it's also great to see because I know Mark comes from a bit of a rallying family. Uh, you know, we don't have a ton of those in the U.S., but I, I know his dad was involved in rally for a period of time. So uh, it's great to see him come out and kind of continue that legacy. Now, you mentioned there Brandon Semenuk's unfortunate retirement on Snowdrift. He did get his revenge on the 100 Acre Wood Rally. And it really was a bit revenge, wasn't it, Mason? Because Brandon was was kind of... It feels harsh to say, but he was second best for, for most of the weekend until the very last stage where we had Ken Block and we'll get onto hit Ken Block's car in a second. I'm sure plenty of listeners know the story there, but he was second. Ken hit a deer and Brandon was, was right there to pick up the win. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been kind of uh, championing Simonuk for a while now. I think last year uh, there were so many times that he was proving to be fastest, proving to be on track to win a rally and then a a mechanical or something just strange in a late stage would take him right out. Um, and so as much as it, it, it's hard to see block lose in the last stage because he hits a deer, but if anyone's going to benefit from someone else having something just crazy happen that takes the leader out and uh, allows you to kind of come around, Seminook is the person it has to be. And I don't think it, I don't think it takes away from his win at all. I think it's, extremely well-deserved and been a long time coming. And what, of course, it, it sets up is a, a tantalising national championship picture because you've got Semenuk, who's got that win. We've got Travis Pastrana missed the opening round because of his, his base jumping accident where he broke his pelvis. So he, I think, 
it wasn't his best event, 100 Acre Woods. I think he'd be the first to admit that. But traditionally, it's always been a bit of a mixed bag for Travis. So, But we all know he's going to be there. I think the transformation in his driving since he's partnered with Rihanna and Gelsomino is is massive. We've got Barry McKenna back and Ken Block in the Hyundai World Rally Car. Now, Preston, we do have to ask, as somebody heavily involved in ARA, we've got two latest spec, essentially, World Rally Cars in the championship. It's it's quite a... Well, I don't think there's anywhere else in, in the world that's got that at the minute at a national level. So you must be, first of all, quite proud to have attracted such high quality machinery and high quality drivers to drive them it, it is great to see this uh, level of vehicle coming in competing in the u.s you know they're obviously much different than say in their full wrc spec just uh, because our our rules are um, i don't want to say more stringent but more restrictive let's say um, than than the world rules at least for for the rules that these cars were built to. So, you know, they're a bit heavier and, and less power. And and Barry actually put a two-liter engine in, in his Fiesta versus the 1.6 liter that, uh, of course, was typical for those cars. So, you know, his, his car came over last year and certainly shook the championship up quite a bit. Uh, Subaru ended up coming on top, but uh, that was partially because Barry wasn't able to make the full championship last year. So I think going into this year, having Barry's car here, which is, you know, again, kind of a, a mix of the regulations and then having Ken here in the Hyundai uh, should make for some very exciting competition against the Subarus. Mason, you've been covering uh, the ARA for the best part of over two years now, actually, how time flies. <laughs> but yeah. How, how have you noticed a difference in that time compared to, say, your first event at the or first event for Dirtfish anyway, um, at the start of twenty twenty to now, the level that not just the cars are, but the drivers are driving at as well. The competition is incredible, and I, I remember last year there were lots of comparisons to two thousand and six and and the great drivers and the closeness of the rallies we had then. But it really does feel like the ARA is kind of at, at the peak as ever been, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Um especially you know under the the series of the ARA obviously that's um it's a bit different than when it was Rally America back in 06 and uh we had like all the up and coming action stars like uh our Tanner Fausts and whatnot um but I, I mean the first event that I covered with Dirtfish was uh Snowdrift in 2020 and that was just kind of McKenna running away from uh Peter Fatella uh, using a an R5 against a proto car, and then the rest of the field was um, just kind of in their own race. Uh, and um, you know, I like Snowdrift in that. Like, I think what Jimmy Pelizzari probably ran like the fourth fastest time that weekend, and just like an NA old Subaru. Um, but I think if hey hey if we had a similar that, car win win that race this year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean like and it's Snowdrift is incredible for that, but I think that if you look at like that year's event, even this year's Snowdrift just compared to like 100 Acre Wood, like um that we just got off of, like we went from an R5 being the top of the field uh in 2020 uh because Subaru wasn't there, but then even with the Subarus, they've had to like Subaru Motorsports USA has had to put in a lot of effort to get those cars up to the the level that Barry McKenna raised it to when he brought the WRC Fiesta in, and um, 
obviously now we've got Hyundai in the mix too, so it's incredible competition at the top end, but there's also uh you know more and more RC2 class competitors sneaking in, more and more people from Europe, from uh Mexico, from all over the world wanting to kind of get in on the series um at like every event, just more and more people internationally coming in. And I think that's really important as we look at um, the future of the championship and just seeing it grow and be taken more seriously. Now, I don't know, Mason, if that was intentional, but that was the perfect segue to move on to kind of the real nucleus of this podcast, I must be honest. The 2023 technical regulations and directions for the open four-wheel drive class in ARA. Now, for anybody listening to this, if you haven't seen the news story on the website, please do check that out on dirtfish.com and there'll be various bits on Dirtfish and the ARA's channels over the coming days as well. But there is a big change. Mason, Preston, this is no disrespect to you, Mason, but we'll we'll ask the guy that's (laughs) had a, a massive part in developing this. Preston, I guess, tell the ladies and gentlemen what's changing and, and why it's changing. Absolutely. You know, for, for us, the big change that we're really going after is changing the open four-wheel drive class, which uh, for us have been arguably some of the most powerful rally cars in the world uh, that have been allowed in our series and, and just kind of uh, lowering their performance potential to be in line with what is our RC2 class or the Rally 2 cars, uh, you know, more commonly. And really, you know, that's the goal to increase competition, um, but it's also mindful to reducing development costs for teams. You know, of course, Subaru's kind of been uh, the big fish in the pond in the U.S. for the last, uh, you know, at least 10, 15 years. And uh, they're a great partner of the series, but even they've come to us and said, uh, you know, they'd love to see the series grow and they'd love to see more competition. and, And this is a way we see to do that. Mason, obviously the the, the news is, is still quite fresh, so it's hard to tell how everybody is, is feeling about it. But from your personal perspective, and please say what you like. Preston won't be offended if you have anything bad to say to him. Might be. <laughs> I, not at all. <laughs> yeah. But how do you how do you feel about the direction of the ARA and, and where they've gone with this? Um, you know, I think it's a hard decision to, you know, look at the fact that we've got two WRC cars in the series now and say, well, we can't really have that anymore. But uh, long term, I think that, you know, constantly having the, you know, top three or four drivers just having to pour more and more money in or their teams pour more and more money in, it's just not, um, it's not sustainable. Uh, most national championships kind of cap off at a, a rally to sort of level for a reason. Um, you know, these cars, especially with how plentiful they are now, buying used, you can get them for like $150,000 or less, which is not necessarily accessible to a lot of the field, but it's far more accessible than a million dollar car or, you know, something like what's at the top of the field right now. And so I, I think it's a great choice. I think that not only does kind of clipping back the performance to where it'll be, uh, basically double the amount of people who are theoretically in contention for the championship next year just already but uh sponsors are going to be more likely to uh want to compete or more likely to want to fund teams competing if they can compete at the top level and not 
fast but not in the spotlight uh and manufacturers too like they all want to they want to be able to put in the money and still be seen rather than put in the money and then still have a wrc car run away with it because it's you know a full second to faster if not more every mile uh so it it'll be it'll be rough seeing some of the incredible technology and incredible cars we have go but um i think if we want to keep the momentum that we have in the series and um keep it uh growing and keep it kind of thriving more and more every year i think this is probably the correct decision to make well that that was the challenge you know for me and the team is we're all obviously fans of rally and fans of the sports and and that's why we're we're involved and like you said mason to start turning away some of these cars that are showing up and and uh unfortunately you know after ken's car came in we did get a couple other phone calls with with interest in bringing cars in, which is great. But uh, like like you touched on, it's just not sustainable. And for us to be able to have competitors to uh, let's say buy something off of the shelf that has the thousands and thousands of development miles that uh, you know Ford puts in, that Hyundai puts in, that um, you know Skoda, whomever it is, you're you're just not able to match that when you're developing a car from scratch. Uh, you, you can spend the same amount of money, but development miles go such a long way when when building cars like this. As far as development miles go, I think someone, the person in US Rally who I've heard the most on that from is going to be Pat Morrow. Um, and this is another great aspect of how this rule change is, you know, not too restrictive, is in US Rally we have the the benefit of incredible builds like a all-wheel drive v8 chevy sonic um so you know something like that has the, the potential to be really competitive uh but in talking with pat uh you know the the r&d time and the miles and the money is just not not there at this point he can't quite get um as much he, can, he can't match the research that goes into an r5 and even like if you're talking about an R5 versus a WRC car, um, the amount of money into it, just optimizing it and everything is not the same. You know, if you look at it on a world level too, uh, yes, the WRC cars went to hybrids this year, but all of the systems kind of surrounding it have gone closer to Rally 2 cars and further away. You know, the transmissions went to uh, a five-speed and, and very similar, if not the same, as some of the Rally 2 cars. So even on the world level, they're they're understanding the sustainability when you're looking at the top level classes and and the amount of uh, money and, and effort and coordination it takes to be able to compete. Yeah, I think that is actually a, a very key point and it's interesting because I'm possibly one of the people that would join the brigade and say that the FIA should possibly have looked at like a, a Rally 2 Plus situation instead of a Rally 1. Much to do of the cars that are there now, I think there is the argument to suggest that just the cost factor for, for having more competitors at the front and kind of you guys, in my opinion, are leading the way with this now because it's important to stress that yes, RC2 cars can comp compete as they are at the front of this class, but there are subtle modifications allowed to the cars as well, aren't there, Preston? There are. You know, for for us, uh, the weights are heavier for our open four-wheel drive class. So um, I, I forget exactly what it is in kilos, but uh, for us uh, American pounds, it's about 
2730 is what the rally two cars are versus our open class which is 2900 pounds and and will stay there so uh you know because of that they get to make a little bit more power so a bit of a different restrictor size uh other allowances you know our rear wings we allow a little bit more of a let's say complicated design or or beneficial design so there are some subtle differences that uh the rally two cars will have advantages in some ways and then others the the open class will be and and that's really intended you know we we really do like those unique builds that mason mentioned you know whether it's the v8 sonic or um you know these kind of one-off cars uh, we we love those and that's kind of the american ingenuity that we really want to make sure we're still highlighting um and then with it we do also still want to have privateers being able to build their own cars so of course the easiest solution let's say is us just adopting all the fia classes in the pyramid and and done and dusted we copy and paste the rule book and off we go. But that's just not really the way that uh, me and the team like to operate. Can you give us a bit of an insight as well into how difficult it is for you to, to rubber stamp this? Because there's obviously a lot of different parties to please and a lot of different things to consider. So I, I can't imagine it's the, the easiest process to, to map out a, a future direction for a championship like you have. It's not. And part of that comes from... Uh, us creating our own issue of, again, trying to allow as many different cars as we can. And so writing the rules for, uh, let's say, theoretically every car in existence is is a very unique challenge rather than uh, being able to write rules for a, a five-door hatch as, as most of the FIA classes are now. So, you know, we kind of made a bit more work for ourselves and we understand that. But uh, again, it, it just creates that uh, kind of American mentality that you can still build a car in your garage and be competitive. And, and so we still want to make sure that that's an option. I guess the real question now is, Mason, now that it's theoretically a bit easier to, to hit the, the front of the ARA, when are you getting yourself the license done and, and the car built? <laughs> uh, when I start making enough money from Dirtfish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'll mean, find you more work. Yeah, I mean, Luke knows I'm always coming up with stupid ideas for rally cars. I've thought about um, putting a, a V12 in a minivan or stuff like that, just because it's theoretically possible. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as much as that'll probably never happen, we do see, we see competitors doing stuff like that. I mean, Sam Albert has been teasing putting a Ferrari V8 in a Subaru for a while. I mean, well, more than teasing, we've, we've had conversations about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, you're not going to see that anywhere else. You're not going to see, like we already mentioned, Pat Moreau's car. We're not going to see... Even uh, El Dante's car. It hasn't car. raced yet. Yeah, uh, an LSRX7. There's a, a V8 Chevy Colorado rear-wheel drive that uh, has been built, but unfortunately hasn't gotten to compete yet. I mean, there's so many just great outlandish things that are just fun and carefree that people come up with that you just you can't really get in most of the world in rallying. Yeah, and I'm going to be speaking from a very UK European perspective here. And it's if people don't know me, it's possibly quite obvious from the conversations that I am from the UK and my two guests on the podcast are not from the US. <laughs> the accents perhaps give that away. But it's in, in where I'm from, generally, you've got things are what somebody would call from the FIA pyramid of classes. As, as Preston said, everything is homologated cars and that that's fine. It's great. But there is just a massive fascination for me, at least, of the amount of different things that you can have in the US. And that has been, I guess, the, the ARA's USP for ages is that you can theoretically take 
basically any rally car and and make it legal to compete in a massive national championship. So it's great that I think we've managed to find a a solution that caters for that, but also should theoretically attract more and more people from outside the US to come and compete. And I guess this is leading to a question, Preston. How big a a deal or how big an objective is sort of more international interest slash competition is it is it more important to make sure the u.s guys have a space or is there a little bit of it that you kind of want to get some some more names from different parts of the world in as well it really goes both ways um to be honest with you and in our approach is is that so yes we'd love to get more european drivers over here and competing and and we believe that these changes will will help with that um, you know, the reality is the world is a very small place now. And, and so it's much, much easier for international competitors, obviously, most commonly Europe, um, to, to come over and compete in our series. And as we get more and more Rally 2 cars for hire over here or, or imported, um, those options are only going to get bigger. But another important aspect of it that I don't think is talked about enough is uh, promoting American drivers to go compete internationally. And as we become more relevant on the international market and we have some of our, uh, say, young rally drivers that are coming up, getting used to driving against, um, you know, European drivers and and certainly in your in uh, FIA spec cars, it makes that transition for them to go on an international level much easier. Um, and uh, again, I would love to see U.S. drivers competing internationally, whether it's in the WRC, even if it's in the ERC or similar series, um, just as much as I love to see Europeans come over here and compete. Mason, and it might be a bit of a, an unorthodox question, but just leading off what Preston has said there, do you think there's any drivers in particular now that are competing in, in some of the classes at the moment that you think will particularly benefit from the future direction like is there somebody in the field that you think is is doing a really good job but nobody's noticing it because they just cannot compete with the open four-wheel drive cars but now they actually might be able to uh, i mean yeah i think there's a lot i think um for the most part just about anyone who's had an r5 over the past few years has shown a lot of promise at uh some at some point or another i mean um Joseph Burke was pretty fast whenever his held together, which was, I think, zero out of any event that he introduced. I was going to say, I think, unfortunately, pretty rare. (laughs) But yes. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, uh, he still has the Evo. He's not running a lot this season, but he could, if he could, you know, get a full season under his belt and really commit to a full uh, campaign, I guess. Uh, that right there would be really good, uh, and it would probably be pretty competitive. I think also uh, George Plasek, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, he's got another Evo that's right on the edge there. Um, I know Jeff Seahorn just went back to Limited, but he's been trying to get to the top level for years, and uh, he's very skilled. Uh, there's there's so many more. Uh, those are the ones that come to the top of my head immediately. Um, but uh, those are all people who already kind of have, for the most part, a car that can compete. Um, there's a lot of people that maybe don't have the car for the top of the series yet, but easily have the marketability and the the know-how and drive to get a team together if they can get better sponsorship under this uh, new rule set too. Like Mark Piatkowski we talked about earlier, if he could get a full season, 
where he could afford to either own or rent an R5, he would be right up there, I'm sure. I mean, we saw him at 100 Acre Wood uh, struggle a little bit, uh, but it was his first event in the R5, and he really showed he knew what he was doing behind the wheel still. Um, I mean, there's plenty of drivers like that in the series. Even Texas Dave, you know, he's got the big program with Black Rifle Coffee this year. And I was talking with him um, kind of with the direction we're going not that long ago. And he said, this just simplifies their program so much because, again, they can invest into a Rally 2 car and to know that with these changes in the rules that they should be competitive uh, at the top of the field, uh, at least from a car standpoint, you know, uh, he understands he's got to drive it still. but. Uh, it's it's as you say mason there's numerous names up and down the field that um hopefully this will promote that competition and and get some people investing in cars and and in return sponsors investing in them and see where it goes yeah and And just final sorry uh, i was gonna say uh dave is already competitive enough in a limited car with some of the some of the high cars up there uh, or with some of the um high-speed cars above him. So mm-hmm. him being able to compete at the top of the field would be a real game-changer. And I think a lot of I think a lot of top drivers would be nervous about that. Mm-hmm. So final thoughts on... I'll see that again because I said thoughts with an F. <laughs> so, so final thoughts on this, gents. And, and Preston, you did mention there that you'd had some conversations with Texas Dave... What has the, the reaction been like so far from the guys that are currently in the open four-wheel drive class? Are they are they embracing it? Are they worried that they've not got the same advantage anymore? What What's the general sort of feedback been so far from maybe your, your Hoonigan guys, your Subaru guys, your, your McKenna Motorsports and the like? In general, it's been extremely positive. Uh, again, they see the benefits of going to kind of this structure and, and while still having the ability for, say, the the Subaru team to build their own car to be competitive. But on the flip, say, you know, Ken Block going from the Hyundai WC to a Hyundai Rally 2 car is an easy transition. Uh, Of course, everyone likes their toys. Uh, You know, Barry's fond of his WC car. Ken has enjoyed uh, his car. And and so it's maybe we got to have fun while it lasted. But looking forward, this this just really simplifies it for a lot of teams and, and they see the benefit of that and and welcome the competition. It's a good phrase you used there, sort of having fun while it lasted. We have, of course, got to remember that this is coming into effect next year, so we still have a full 2022 season to to see out. And I'm going to put you both on the spot, and it's always very difficult to try and make a prediction, let alone when you're not even halfway through a season yet. But if you look at the form book now and everything that's going on, who would you put your your money on to to come out on top of the national championship this year and i'm going to come to you first mason and i will i won't cop out this one either i will give my response as well don't worry <laughs> all right um you know i think a lot of people are looking at block and saying like well he's undefeatable this year he's got such a great car but um i still have to put my money on Seminuk. i think now that he's got the seat time in the car and on the stages and He's he's finally gotten to experience most of the rounds. Um, he's shown that he's just as fast, if not faster, than Pastrana um, when he knows a stage, and I think that we'll really start to see him take off. And I think Travis honestly would say the same thing. Uh, just every time I talk to Travis, he's like, I can't believe how good Brandon's doing. He's the greatest driver in America and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've, I've I've heard these same interviews actually. Mason will send some through to us, and uh, you're right. I think pretty much every single time, there's always something. Is he's crediting Brandon? It, it, Travis isn't the kind of guy that would say that for the sake of saying it either. So there there is a, a serious driver in there. Preston, it might be a bit more difficult for you to to answer this. You could get yourself knocked off somebody's Christmas card list fairly quickly. <laughs> but I, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to ask you anyway. Who, who do you reckon will have the edge and will ultimately prevail this year? You know, and, and it's going to sound like the diplomatic answer, but I think this early in the season, it's way too early to tell. Um, you know, every, every driver we have to, you know, to Mason's point about Brandon, I think watching his growth last year and and seeing his speed year over year and event over to event, um, you know, hopefully he can run a full championship this year because I think he's a real contender. But, you know, Ken and Barry both have proper weapons in, in the cars that they have over here. And so, I mean, it's it's a toss-up between them. And at the end of the day, you can never count Pastrana out. And it's it's between those four. I think it's really going to come down to the last race because, you know, with the where championship works, you get a certain number of drop rounds. So uh, you can afford to have a bad race or two, you know, like Travis had at hundred acre coming from his injury. So uh, it's, it's still completely up in the air in my eyes. I agree. And I think it is going to be a fantastic race to the end of the season, but I did promise that I would give my prediction as well. And I'm going to be, perhaps a bit boring and stick my colours to the Ken Block mast. I just think, A, the, the car he's got now, the, the speed of which he managed to get on top of it on the 100 acre wood was impressive. And I know that is a traditional Ken Block event. It's the event he's, he's won more than any other and, and nobody else has won more times than he has. But the, the fact he got on top of it so quickly and the work that he and Alex Gelsomino have done, I, I think I read somewhere on, actually it was one of our Dirtfish features actually, that basically last year they spent a lot of the time just refining their pace notes so they could get it absolutely right this year so the approach they've got i think they're going to be very hard to beat but either way as both mason and preston have said it's going to be a fantastic year of ara action and potentially an even better one next year so make sure you are following the championship is absolutely one of the best championships in the world um dirtfish of course is the place to find everything you need to know about the ara Gents, that's about half an hour. I've probably wasted enough of your time now. Thank you very much for joining me. <laughs> Both of you making your, your debuts on the pod. Just quickly, Preston, if folk do want to, to get in contact with you, you or any of the organisers at the ARA, what is the best way to do so? Best place is to go onto our website, uh, which you can do is ara-rally.com. And we've got a contact section there and then also all the event information uh, underneath the championship. Perfect. And Mason, I shall let you go on and do some more sketches of Toyota Previews with V12s. <laughs> awesome, yeah. That's all I do in my free time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. We'll catch up soon. Thanks so much, Luke. Yeah, thank you.